we do this, I say, He is risen, and you say, He is risen indeed. You got it? He is risen. He is risen indeed. We can do better than that. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen, right? Give the Lord a round of applause. God is good, and He is good all of the time. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to the book of Luke's Gospel. We're going to be in chapter 23, starting in verse 50, and we're going to read several verses. And as you're making your way there, if Jesus doesn't return, every single one of us will die. It's inevitable, one for one, right? I mean, it's just the way life is. Unless the Lord returns, every one of us will die. But there's some people who have turned, because they're non-believers, to cryonics. And I don't know if you know anything about cryonics, but cryonics is this, yeah, <laughs> kind of frightening, like space age, future stuff. But what they do, they go and they say, I want to be preserved so when science catches up, then they can retrieve my body out of this frozen state, minus 120 degrees Fahrenheit, and then they can heal me and regenerate my body, and I'll be good to go again. Well, it's got a quite a hefty price tag of $120,000, but if you don't have $120,000, you don't want your full body placed in cryostasis, all you have to do is say, sever my head and put it in cryostasis. <laughs> and my body will then be regenerated. And if you are interested in that, I have the website www.cryogenics.stupid <laughs> Now listen, <laughs> a lot of people do a lot of crazy things thinking they can extend their life. In fact, you may have heard of Ted Williams. Ted Williams, he is in cryostasis as we speak. And he has been since 2002. And imagine how ridiculous that is. But I have got a much better solution for you. If you want to submerge your life, not in cryostasis, but if you want to submerge your life in Jesus Christ, your grave problems are over. Amen? And uh, I want you to stand with me today as we read in chapter 23 is where we're going to start, verse 50. Now behold, there was a man named Joseph... Joseph, a council member, a good and just man, he had not consented to their decision indeed. He was from Arimathea, the city of the Jews, who himself was also waiting for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then he took it down, wrapped it in linen, laid it in a tomb that was shewn out of the rock, where no one had ever lain before. That day was the preparation, and the Sabbath drew near. And the women who had come with him from Galilee followed after, and they observed the tomb and how his body was laid. Then they returned and prepared spices and fragrant oils, and they rested on the Sabbath according to the commandment. Now on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they and certain other women with them came to the tomb, bringing the spices which they had prepared, but they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Then they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus, and it happened. As they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. Then as they were afraid, they bowed their faces to the earth and said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he is risen. 
Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. Then they returned from the tomb, told all the things to the leaven and all the rest. It was Mary Magdalene, Jonah, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. And their words seemed to them like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves, and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. Father, I thank you for the resurrection. And I thank you, Lord, that you have saved us and given us the opportunity to have a personal relationship with you. And, Lord, my prayer is that anyone here today that doesn't know you might come to know you and experience eternal life. Thank you, Father, for the blessings you have provided. Encourage us this day. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, there are two things that I want to share with you today that I think are quite important. The first is the miracle of the resurrection. We're going to talk about the miracle of the resurrection. And then we're going to talk about the meaning of the resurrection. Because a lot of people get the miracle, but they miss the meaning. So I want us to understand both of those, okay? So first off... The miracle of the resurrection. Now, no event in human history has been scrutinized as much as the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It has been written about, talked about, debated about, and people have wondered about this particular event. And throughout the centuries, people have attempted to explain the resurrection away. And the way they've attempted to explain it away are a multitude of ways. But it really comes down to two specific theories where people try to just do away with the resurrection with these theories that they have. The first theory is a kidnap theory. And the kidnap theory goes something like this, that the disciples came at night and they rolled this two and a half, three ton stone away while the soldiers slept. And they went inside and took the linen garments off Jesus' body and folded them up and laid them there. And then they took his body, hid it, and nobody ever found it. (sighs) Now think about that with me for just a moment, if you will, because as you consider stealing the body of Jesus, they would have to have a motive that motivated them to take the body of Jesus, to take this incredible risk, and and then after that, they went and experienced a horrible death. I mean, they were tortured, they were shot through the arrows, they were beheaded. And they gained nothing monetarily. They didn't gain anything. They lost their lives. And they continued to stay true to that story. And they affirmed that story of the resurrection with their lives. The other main theory that's taught is a swoon theory. And this one just almost is laughable. They say that Jesus on the cross really didn't die, but he just passed out. And his heart rate was so low, they couldn't detect it. So they put him in the tomb after they wrapped him in these claws. And the cold tomb caused him to revive. And as he revived, he unwrapped himself in this dark room, (laughs) this cave, folded up his garments, placed them down, then went and rolled that stone away, which was two and a half tons, three tons. and, And that stone is in this crevice. And then he snuck out and went and lived his life. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of 
J. Vernon McGee, but he said, said this. And he, he was one of my old-time favorite Bible teachers on the radio. He said uh, this. He received a letter from a lady who listened to his program, and she wrote, Our preacher said that on Easter Jesus swooned on the cross and that his disciples nursed him back to health. What do you think? All right, valid question. Here was McGee's answer. Dear sister, beat your preacher with a leather whip. Nail him to a cross. Hang him in the sun for six hours. Run a spear through his heart. Embalm him. Put him in an airless tomb for three days and see what happens. I think that's a great answer. And listen, absolute foolishness. The truth of the, of the Christian faith hangs in the balances of the resurrection. Every other doctrinal position falls like a one-egg pudding without the resurrection. Nothing else would matter. So let's look at a couple of these thoughts. Three indisputable evidences for the resurrection of Jesus. Number one is the miracle was communicated by angels. Angels came and delivered this message. I mean, there they are at the cross. The women are at the cross or at the tomb, and they're there at the tomb. They want to prepare Jesus' body because they didn't really have time to do it. Joseph and Nicodemus, and uh, they wanted to be there. But you know what? In the Jewish religion at this time of Jesus, women were not really considered first-class citizens. In fact, they were berated and they were demeaned and uh, denigrated, if you will, to a place of dishonor. And a popular prayer among the Jewish men of that day, now, now this is not my thoughts, okay? And this is not my feelings, but here was a popular prayer of the Jewish men at that time. Dear God, I thank you that you did not make me a woman or a dog. Wow. That's pretty low, isn't it? But that's how they perceived women at that time. I mean, you, you, not only the Jewish faith, but Islam. Islam teaches that the absolute subservience of a woman to a man, but they equate the women to pets. Now, I'm telling you, Christian faith, Christianity, men and women together launched the Christian faith. And I am so grateful that they did. And in Jesus Christ, we're told these words in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You know what he's saying? The, at the foot of the cross, it's all level. It doesn't matter what color. It doesn't matter what nationality. It doesn't matter if you're a male or female. We are all equal at the cross of Christ. Now, you ought to say amen for that. Especially you ladies. Amen. Amen. Thank Lord, the Lord that he did that for us. Also in Luke 24, 5 through 7. Then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? <laughs> Great question. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying the Son of Man must be delivered to the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and then guess what? On the third day rise again. Now, just as God sent a band of angels to announce the birth of Jesus to the shepherds in the field, so he sends angels to the women to announce the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Now, if, you, if you've been with us earlier and I talked about the, the, uh, 
the, the uh, shepherds, they were considered the lower class of the day. So Jesus is elevating the lower class of the day, and he's elevating the women and saying, listen, here are the people that announced my birth and announced my resurrection. And those faithful women, they served the Lord throughout their lives. So that is the miracle communicated by the angels. But the second miracle was confirmed by the absence of Jesus in that tomb. Now, the tomb which they think, because they're not really sure, but they think Jesus was buried in. Scientists have gone in and they have, uh, after that lecture, they had to excavate the tomb because it was probably 30 feet down. But they had to excavate that tomb, and they took microscopic samples from the soil, and uh, they were trying to find traces of human uh, decayed body, a human's body. And they, that, those traces can be detected for thousands of years, and guess what? They found no trace of a human body. Now, you know why? Because if that's actually the tomb of Jesus, he didn't stay there but three days, so he didn't decay. The process had not yet begun. So, it's as Jesus predicted in the book of Isaiah, chapter 53, verse 9. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit found in his mouth. Now, as a member of the Sanhedrin, Joseph of Arimathea would have had the ability to purchase such a tomb as that and then brought, they brought the body of Jesus and placed it in the rich man's tomb, which was predicted. Now, as I told you, the tomb, you had this, you had this stone, this massive stone, and, and they, had it, they had it scotched. They'd remove the scotch and they'd roll it down in, into this, this swivel, this uh, uh, kind of concave uh, area and then it would it would stay there and guess what it would block the air from going in it would keep anybody in from going out but nobody had ever gone out from in but finally one did that was Jesus because he refused to stay dead and uh, that's incredible you know our planet is littered with tombs isn't it you, you drive by any cemetery and you see tombs. There's some tombs of the rich and famous, and then there's a lot of common tombs, obscure tombs. The pyramids, we know, were for, were for the, the uh, great princes of Egypt. And they created these that the pharaohs may be buried there. And, and they're massive structures, and you can still see them there to this very day. The Taj Mahal is a mausoleum. And uh, the Ming Dynasty emperors were placed in these huge tombs that covered a, a hundred acres. Incredible. And then there are millions of people, Muslims, who go to Medina every year to worship at the tomb of Muhammad. But you know, there's no place, no tomb that has a memorial that's set up that we can go as Christians and worship at that tomb because Jesus isn't in the tomb. So we don't have to. We can go directly to the Father through the Son because the Son rose from the dead. And we can say, Lord, thank you for all that you've done, giving me hope. The body of Jesus is not here. So that begs the question, what happened to the body of Jesus? If they couldn't find his body, what happened? Well, 
Let's discuss that for just a moment. And this is a third sub-point, and that is the miracle that was certified by his appearances. You see, the absence of a body alone is not enough evidence to say with any compelling way that the Romans crucified him and, 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 and put him in the grave because you couldn't find him. But the reason that you couldn't find him is because he's still a living, breathing person. And on many occasions, he showed himself to his disciples. Now think about when he showed himself to the eleven, or to ten, because uh, Judas had betrayed him and Thomas wasn't there. And he walked through the wall or the door, and there he was. And they believed, and they, Thomas came later, and they told us, said, Thomas, Thomas, guess what? You missed it. Jesus came. It was here. And Thomas said, I won't believe it unless I can touch those nail prints and touch his side. Well, the next time, Thomas happens to be there. And Jesus said, Thomas, go ahead. And Thomas did. And you know what Thomas said? My Lord and my God. And he believed. But you know, there's something better than seeing and believing, and that's believing by faith. And by faith that the Son of God rose from the dead, we can place our faith and trust and hope in Him and not be disappointed. During that 40-day period before He ascended back to heaven, He was seen by 500 at one time. Wow. The resurrection. What power. 1 Corinthians 15, 13-18, say these words. For I delivered to you first of all that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture that he was buried, that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, that he was seen by Cephas and by the twelve, and after that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep or some have passed away or died. Uh, that brings me to a, to a thought. You know, Russia's in the news a lot today, and Russia has been for a lot of years, and the old bear that was dormant for the last almost 30 years has reared his ugly head once again. But I want you to know something. Putin isn't the first horrible leader of Russia. There was Khrushchev. Many of you a little older know the name Khrushchev. Khrushchev took his shoe off in a meeting and he banged it upon the podium and he said, we will defeat America without a shot. Fired. But Nikita Khrushchev, as, uh, as he aged, and as people saw how terrible a person that he was in Russia, they basically, at his death, no place in Russia would allow him to be buried. So they began to call other nations to see if they could find somewhere to bury Nikita Khrushchev, because at that time he was considered persona non grata. And finally, they called Israel. And uh, when they got a hold of Israel, it was a very interesting thing that took place. Uh, <laughs> Goldie Meir, who was the, the first prime minister of Israel, her, her reply is priceless. She said, yes, you may bury Mr. Khrushchev in Israel, but I must warn you, that we have the highest resurrection rate of any nation on earth. <laughs> you know, I know Jesus is more than a man, don't you? But I also know that I can be forgiven. And that's, that's incredible. That's wonderful. 
Two of the biggest problems that people have on planet earth are sin and death. Regardless of your culture, regardless of your nationality, regardless of your race, regardless of your education, regardless of your financial abilities and standings, listen, every single one of us face sin and death. And there is no one on this planet that's good enough to not sin. Every single person has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and that includes us. And then the Bible says the sin, that soul that has sinned will surely die. So we've got a problem with sin and death. And, and they go hand in hand. Sin leads to death. But there's a solution. And it's what the Bible calls being saved, being born again, experiencing Jesus personally in your life, and having a personal relationship with Him. And, and a verse that tells us how to do that's Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart... Listen, that God raised him from the dead, not that he lived a perfect life, not that, that he had a, a virgin birth, not any of these other things, but that he raised him from the dead. Because, listen, nobody had been raised from the dead and nobody else had a virgin birth. But the virgin birth short-circuited the sin cycle, allowing us to go to the cross where Jesus gave his life and be free from our sin. Has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Man. Ah, isn't that wonderful? What makes Jesus so unique is that he rose from the dead. And the only way to get to heaven is to believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ and personally call out for forgiveness from him. Years ago, Albert Einstein, the great scientist, physicist, was traveling by train. And the conductor came around, wanted to get his ticket, and, and, and Einstein reached in every pocket, couldn't find it, said, I don't know where my ticket is. And the conductor said, that's okay, I know who you are. No worries. And he went on. A little bit later, he saw Einstein down on his knees, searching under all of the seats, trying to find his ticket. And the conductor went to him and said, Mr. Einstein, I know who you are, and I know you're an honest man, and, and it's not a problem. And Einstein looked at him and said, listen, I also know who I am, but I don't know where I'm going. <laughs> you see, it is so important in life to know where you are going because life will end. Thirdly and lastly, I know that the grave isn't the end. I know the grave isn't the end. Death is inevitable. The resurrection, power of Jesus is bigger. What happens at death is this. When a person dies, cessation of life, physical life. And we come, and we'll come to a funeral service, and we'll say, don't they look good? And I always want to say, they look dead. They look dead. Maybe you've heard the story of the three preachers that were talking, and Methodist, Church of Christ, and Baptist. They said, what do you want people to say at your death? And your funeral, and the Methodist pastor said that he was a good man. He was a good man, loved the Lord. Church Christ pastor said, minister said, I want him to say that I was faithful to preach and take care of my flock. Baptist pastor, they said, what do you, what do you, what do you want said? He said, I want them to say, look, he's moving. <laughs> but you know what? Death is inevitable, and we're all going to die if the Lord doesn't return. But the resurrection of Jesus promises that we can be resurrected too. I love the, that passage of scripture in John's gospel in chapter 5 verse 28 and 29. 
Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. I don't know if you know the name Bertrand Russell. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant man. Except he missed it. He was a great philosopher, wrote widely. But he said at the end of his life, he wrote this about his death. The life of a man is a long march through the night, surrounded by invisible foes, tortured by weariness and pain, towards a goal that few can hope to reach and where none can tarry long. One by one, as they march, our comrades vanish from sight, seized by the silent orders of omnipotent death. Very discouraging, very disheartening, right? I like the words of Jesus much better in John 11. Whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Well, so what's the main question on Resurrection Sunday? For me, it's not, did it happen? For me, it's not, where's the tomb? For me... It is this. He rose with power over death to forgive us of our sins and allow us to have a personal relationship with Him and go at the end of our lifetime here on earth to a place called heaven to live forever and ever with all of those other believers who have trusted Him as well. And we then will have a perfect place. No more sorrow, no more sadness, no more suffering, no more separation for the former things are passed away. Amen? There's going to be pain, loneliness, and loss here on earth. But in heaven, perfect peace. And I don't know why anybody wouldn't run to the altar and say, I believe in the resurrection of Jesus. I give him my life. Give you the opportunity in just a moment. I'm going to ask you to bow in prayer right now. Our worship team comes. Father, thank you. Thank you that Jesus rose from the dead and is not buried in some grave. And thank you, Father, that he makes intercession for us. And he's told us if we will just call upon his name and believe that he rose from the dead with all of our heart, we will experience forgiveness of our sins. And we'll be in a relationship with you. So, Father, today... If there's anyone here who has not ever given their life to Christ, I pray today they would come. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand and come.